All right, welcome. My name is Brandon. I am one of the pastors here. It is good to be with you this morning. If you are new or visiting, I just want to say welcome. Uh, If there is anything that we can do to help you get connected to the community here at River City, we'd love the chance to do that. And so come find me or or anyone else who's been up front. We'd love to help you get connected. I also just want to say happy Mother's Day as well. Uh, My mom is not here, but she always listens to the sermons online, so this will get to her eventually. So... um, Oh, Mom, I'll also call you too. Don't worry. All right. I didn't forget you. Okay. So, anyways. <laughs> so, uh, looking forward to opening God's Word with you guys this morning. Uh, this year, uh, if you are new or visiting, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew together. And, and for the past few weeks uh, in particular, we've been taking a closer look at a section of Jesus' teaching that we see in Matthew chapter 13. And it's a section of teaching that's referred to as the parables of the kingdom. And what's going on here in chapter 13 is that Jesus is, is, has kind of this extended time of teaching. And, and what he's doing is he's speaking in parables, which is a form of teaching. And he's speaking in parables about the kingdom of God. He's, he's teaching people what his kingdom is like, about the nature of it and the reality of it, and, and what it looks like to, to receive the message of his kingdom and to be a part of it. And so a few weeks ago, when we began this section, I said that a parable is like a story that draws comparisons to everyday life in order to illustrate some, a spiritual truth. Um, the one pastor, you put it this way, he says, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. They are everyday analogies that help people understand profound spiritual truths. You know, I appreciate when Jesus kind of dumbs things down, right? When he, when he gives us some handles to put things on, because we all need those. But parables, they're more than just stories. They're, they're more than just analogies. You see, parables also convey a sense of mystery because the meaning of a parable isn't carried on the surface. You need to dig a little bit deeper. You see, parables by nature, they're meant to challenge people not just to hear, but actually to listen. You see, hearing and listening are two very different things. When you, when you get on an airplane, right, you're get, you, things are getting rolling, you hear the, this is your captain speaking. If you turn your attention to the flight attendant, she's going to give you a safety briefing here in the next few minutes. And, and let's be honest, you, you hear that. And you promptly do absolutely nothing different than what you were doing just at that moment, right? You see, we, we listen, we hear the flight attendant's safety briefing. We're not listening, though. No, no one is listening to the flight attendant's safety briefing. Maybe my wife Hannah might be, but other than that, no one, right? You see, in the, even the airlines, they know that we're not listening. That's why if you've been on a flight recently, especially on an airplane with the fancy video screens on it, they have like these elaborate flight safety videos, right? And there's like, like actual movie stars that are starting to be a part of them. Like they are desperately trying to get you to listen, but we, but we still don't listen. We, we still don't listen. The reason why we choose not to listen to what we're hearing is that that safety briefing is because we really just believe it doesn't really matter. You see, we don't think it's going to make a difference in our lives. We don't think we're going to need it. And so we hear, but we don't actually listen. You see, but Jesus' words this morning, they're not like the safety briefing on an airplane. You see, on on the plane, the flight attendant is preparing you for something that might happen. Something that is, in fact, wildly unlikely to happen. And the truth is, we know that. You see, but Jesus' words, on the other hand, are meant to prepare us for a reality that is inevitable. 
one that is sure, one that is inescapable, one that is absolutely unavoidable. You see, the parable of the wheat and the weeds is meant to show us how the future reality of Jesus' kingdom, it changes everything about how we understand and live in light of the present reality of his kingdom that we find ourselves in today. You see, and the truth is that we cannot afford to merely hear Jesus' words this morning. You see, we desperately need God to enable us to truly listen to him, to listen and to be able to respond to his words this morning. And so with that in mind, let's pray. And we'll dive into God's word together. Jesus, we, uh, we just come before you this morning, God, and we are so grateful that you would give us your word so that we might know you and that we might know what it's like to follow you and we might know the nature and the reality of your kingdom. And, and God, as we come before you this morning, as we come to study your word, we just say we really need you. God, I, I really need you. God, I don't have what I need on my own in order to teach your word rightly and, and with power, God. God, I don't have that without you and without your spirit filling me so that happens. And, and God, we need you to give us ears that can hear your word, not just, not just to hear them, but we need ears to listen, to respond to you. And so, God, we just come with a humble dependence on you as we study your word this morning. And God, we just ask that you'd be gracious, God, to meet us in it. And God, we need you. Thanks that you love us. Thanks that you long to speak to us in your word. And so we ask that you would. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Uh, this morning we're taking a look at a parable called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. We're in verse 24. We begin, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and they said, Sir, don't, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Well, the servants asked him, well, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and then tie them into bundles and be burned. and Then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Then he left the crowd and he went into a house into the house and the disciples came with him and they said explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field and he answered them the one who sowed the seed is the son of man that's jesus name for himself oftentimes and the field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom the weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil you see the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels and as the weeds are pulled up and burned into the fire so it will be at the end of the age For the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So whoever has ears, let them hear. You see, Jesus, again, he's using a farming metaphor in this parable to teach us about the reality of his kingdom. 
And just a side note quickly here, Jesus uses some of the same language that he used last week. If you were here last week, Ryan uh, preached about the parable of the four soils. And, and Jesus uses some of the same language here, but the metaphors are different. So it's important to kind of shift that in your mind. See, last week, the seed in Jesus' story referred to the message of the gospel. But here in this parable, the good seed refers to those who are already citizens of Jesus' kingdom, those who were good soil in the last parable and have responded rightly to Jesus' kingdom, the message of his kingdom, and have received him as king. King. Last week, in the other word, in the field in the parable, it referred to the condition of someone's heart. And that's what we, Ryan talked about last week, how it's the condition of your heart that changes everything about how you respond to the gospel. This week, though, the field in Jesus' parable, it's not referring to the heart. The, the field is referring to the world at large, where there are both wheat and weeds, where there are both people who are part of Jesus' kingdom and those who oppose it. And so there's this farmer who plants good seed in his field. And what the parable says is that there's an enemy, the devil then, who secretly comes and he plants weeds. The word here that's used for weeds, it refers to this particular kind of weed. It's called darnel. I know nothing about planting, so I can just read. So that's where I know that from. So just hold your roll if you're thinking, wow, that's some incredible wisdom right there. So, uh, so it's, it's, called, it's, a, it's a weed that's called darnel, and, and it's a kind of grass that grows, and when it first begins to grow, it looks almost identical to a, to a wheat. And so that's why the passage says it wasn't until it sprouted and forms head that the, that the darnel was evident. You see, at the beginning, they both look the same. The wheat and the weeds, they look incredibly similar. What Jesus is saying is in this parable is that even though they look similar, they eventually they prove to be different. To make matters worse, though, this, this weed, Darnell, it wasn't just a kind of an annoying weed that kind of brought down harvest. No, it, it, was a po- it also contained a poisonous fungus that would ruin crops altogether. And so what's kind of going on here in this parable is almost like a first century bioterrorism thing that's happening. It would have been considered an incredibly heinous and evil thing to do, to sow weeds in someone else's field. That would have been just one of the most evil things you could do. But that's not the surprising part of this parable. You see, what's really surprising is what the farmer tells his servants to do in response to this. You see, the servants, they ask, should we go and pull up the weeds and that would have been the normal thing to do. That, that would have been what they expected that the, the master would have encouraged them to do. But to everyone's surprise, the master says, no. Don't go and pull up the weeds. Tells, instead, he tells them to wait and let them both grow together until the harvest. At which time they'll be separated and the weeds will be burned up and the wheat will be gathered into the barn. You see, Jesus is saying, this is how my kingdom works. You see, He's come sowing good seed into the world, sons of the kingdom, people who belong to his kingdom, and Satan is actively opposing the work of Jesus' kingdom in the world, and he's sowing seeds of opposition to Jesus' kingdom, people who belong to the evil one, and even though they might appear to be good seed for a while, they are eventually proven that they are not. And the reality is that Jesus, the owner of the field, the one who has authority over the field, he allows them both to grow together. He allows the righteous and the wicked to coexist in the world. He allows the wheat and the weeds to grow together. But only for a time. You see, until the end of the harvest, until the end of the age, at which time it says that the weeds will be gathered and burned and the wheat will be brought into the barn. You see, in the end, Jesus is saying that God will judge sin. 
and that he will bring all things to rightness. And the picture here, whether you take it literally or symbolically, is not a good one of God's judgment of sin. Where he gathers the wheat and he throws it into the fire to be burned. You see, in this picture, this parable, about the explanation of Jesus' kingdom, it would have stunned the average Jewish person. It would have been an absolute shock, an affront to everything they thought they understood. You see, the Jewish expectation was that when the Messiah would come and and would usher in the kingdom of heaven, there would be this immediate moral and political revolution, that evil would be overcome, and that there would be this absolute division between the good guys and the bad guys, and that Rome would be overthrown, and that Israel would be returned to power. And nothing like that seems to be happening. You see, in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus is correcting their expectations. He says, yes, the kingdom of of heaven is here. And yes, it is still coming. Yes, you can't expect evil to be overcome and sin to be defeated. But no, it won't happen now. It'll happen at the end of the age. You see, the way Jesus and the New Testament writers together, they talk about the reality of God's kingdom is that it is both a present reality and a future reality. They talk about it a lot in the way that, that we think about like the difference between D-Day and V-E Day in World War II. You see, D-Day it took place on June 6th in 1944 when the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy in France. And at that time, the Allied forces, they dealt this fatal blow to Germany and they, they rendered the, uh, the Axis powers defeated. The war was essentially over. Yet total victory in Europe, VE Day, it didn't occur until May 7th of 1945, almost an entire year later when the, when the German forces surrendered, to, surrendered in Berlin. And between D-Day and VE Day, the, the victory of the Allied forces, it was, it was sure. It was inevitable. It, it, was, it was won in principle, but yet it was not manifested in practice, in actual fact. And Jesus is saying, that's how my kingdom is working. That's what my kingdom is like. He says, it has come. It is sure. There is no stopping it, but it has not come in full yet. You see, Jesus' kingdom is both present and future. And the reality of his kingdom, it changes everything about the way that we live rightly. The reality of the future, the future reality of his kingdom, it changes everything about how we live in the present reality of his kingdom today. You see, and I think there's three things that we learn about living in the present reality of Jesus' kingdom. Living three things that shape the way that we live and that we grow as wheat among the weeds. See, Jesus is saying, this will happen, the end is coming, but you need to be prepared. Because in between, you're going to need to be able to learn to live as wheat among the weeds. I think there's three things that shape the way that we live and grow as wheat among the weeds this morning as we study. And the first thing is that, is that if we're going to do that well, we need, we need to be patient. You see, the slowness, the delay of the consummation of Jesus' kingdom, it's not what the people of Jesus' day wanted to hear, and it's not what we want to hear either, if we're honest. You see, we live in an on-demand world. We want everything now. You see, our ultimate enemy is slow internet. Right? Like we, we desperately want everything to happen immediately. We want Jesus to solve our problems now. We want him to make everything right now. We want him to fix the broken things in the world. We want him to do it now. 
And sometimes God feels incredibly slow. We look around in our life and we see pain and injustice and heartache and brokenness. We see sin in ourselves. We see sin in the lives of others. And we think, God, when are you going to fix it? Why don't you just do something? You see, we see God's slowness as a problem, but the Bible talks about God's slowness as a gracious and merciful gift. 2 Peter chapter 3 reads this way, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, the good news of the gospel is that we worship a God who does not work on our time, but one who works on his own you see, when we run things, when the world runs on our time, it almost never goes well. We, we rush into things too quickly, or we wait too long and we miss out. But God's timing is always good and is always right. And the slowness of his timing in consummating his kingdom is out of a gracious concern that the wheat might be able to grow. You see, he wants the wheat to grow. He wants his king, sons of his kingdom, children of his kingdom. He wants us to grow. And so Jesus is saying, you can count on me to do what I said I, that I would do throughout Scripture. You, you can count on me to judge sin and to, and to rescue the righteous and to make all things right, but you need to be patient. I don't know about you, but for me, that was really convicting this week. You see, what's convicting, I think, is that we worship a God who is far more patient with us than we are with him or with others. I just like stuck in my heart this week. I long desperately. There's a situation I just feel like, Jesus, would you just get on with it? Can we just fix things? Can we just make things right? And I get angry with situations or with people or with whatever's going on. And what God is saying is you must be patient. And he's doing it says, because I have been patient with you. See, that leads us to the second thing we learn about living as wheat among the weeds. Not just that we should be patient, but that we should be incredibly humble. You see, God was gracious to give you and I time to repent, time to grow. You see, we needed it. You see, and the truth is, is our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, they need God's gracious time and patience as well. But what we also see here is that the truth is, is that we cannot be trusted with the weeding ourselves. You see, we'll just cause more damage than good if we try to do it ourselves. The passage says, you see, last year I planted a bunch of hostas in this weedy part of my yard, and, and, and eventually they will take over. That's, uh, that's kind of the joyous inevitability when you plant hostas. They require no work, and then they just eventually take over and consume everything. It's just wonderful. I suppose they're kind of like a kingdom-minded plant in that way, right? So, um, but this spring, so I was going to go, I, pl- I planted these hostas in, in this super weedy part of my yard. And so uh, I was going to go back this, weed, this, this spring and spray a ton of weed killer in all of the spots that the hostas weren't there. And so everything's kind of starting to come up in this section of the yard. And I, and I go out there with this incredible confidence, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, we're going to get all this, we're going to kill all the weeds so the hostas can grow. And I get out there, and I'm just like, 20 minutes later, I'm like, I'm not sure I know which one's a hosta. <laughs> I can't. They're just planty, everything. Just, I don't, I, I can't tell. I can't, I just can't tell. A few weeks later, I totally could. 
I could absolutely tell which one was a hasa and which one was a weed, but I couldn't in the moment. And so I decided that I was a terrible gardener and that I should just wait and let the hostas do their thing. I see, the truth is, is that we can't always tell where people are at spiritually. We don't always have clarity. There's a George Whitfield, he was a famous preacher in the 1700s, and he used to travel around preaching to massive, massive crowds, and he had a great beard, so you know he was trustworthy. And people would ask him, after he would do these, these huge sermons out in fields, they would ask him, you know, how many people were saved? How, how many people? And he would always respond, we'll find out in a few years. And it's not because that he believed that people needed to earn their salvation or, or, or that they needed to prove it in some way, shape, or form, but uh, it would just take time to reveal the true nature, right? It would just take time to show the true nature of their, of their faith. You see, the truth is we want clarity on where people are at spiritually, and, and it's not wrong to desire that. It's not wrong to, to seek that. It's not, it's not wrong to help to discern where someone is at spiritually. But the truth is, is that sometimes we just can't tell. We need to be patient and we need to, to wait. You see, and that's the beauty of, of the importance of what it means to be a gospel-centered church. Maybe you've noticed if you've been at River City for any length of time that we talk about the gospel a lot. We talk about Jesus, his work his person a lot. And we do that a lot. You see, and the reason why we do that is because the gospel is not just the starting point of our faith. It is like the hub of the wheel in which every part of our faith must connect. You see, the gospel isn't just the thing that saves us. It is the thing that ongoingly transforms who we are. And so we will talk about the gospel all the time and in nuanced ways, and we will seek to apply it to every area and corner of our lives. Because no matter if you've been following Jesus for two minutes or two years or two decades, what we all need is the truth of the gospel soaked into our hearts, reminded into our ears so that we might live in light of it. You see, and that helps us to be patient and to be humble because we can continue to proclaim the good news about the gospel to one another. That's what we all need all the time. Warren Wearsby was an incredibly wise commentator. He actually passed away this week. He wrote, our task is not to pull up the false, but instead to plant the true. And he said, we should see ourselves not primarily as detectives, but as evangelists who oppose Satan and expose his lies by sowing the word of God and bearing fruit, the fruit of truth in the place that he's planted us. You see, it takes humility and it takes patience if we're going to be God's kingdom people living as wheat among the weeds, who trust his sovereign understanding and who live in the lives of humility in the midst, as, not as detectives, but as evangelists, proclaiming the truth of who he is and living that out as we declare and demonstrate the, the nature of the kingdom and the goodness of it. And so that will take humility and it will take patience, but it's also going to take a really confident hope. And that's the third thing I think the passage shows us about living as Jesus kingdom people in that in-between period and we need to that we should live with a hope that we have you see remember i began by telling you at the beginning that that weed that jesus said that the evil one plants that it's not just an annoying weed it is a dangerous one it's a poisonous weed that that has this poisonous fungus that will ruin crops 
And it certainly is surprising that the farmer tells his servants not to pull up that weed. But what also sticks out is the confidence of the farmer that he will have an adequate harvest in the end. You see, the farmer is not concerned. He is not worried. You see, the weeds don't overcome the wheat in Jesus' field. See, there is plenty that is brought into his barn at the end of the age, the passage says. And this should challenge and encourage us this morning. And see, just like it was meant to challenge the people of Jesus' day. See, see, there was zealots in Jesus' day. They wanted to root out all the weeds at once. And they thought the way that to do that was to, to use military or political force. And so they gave everything they had to, to pursuing that ends. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. That's not the way they bring about the kingdom. One pastor writes this way, How do we make a difference in the world that is not with a sword, not by power or might, not even by the voting booth? He said, compared to all these things, the gospel seems very small. But this parable encourages us that we might embrace the smallness of the gospel with a complete confidence in Jesus. You see, any addition of power we try to add to Christ himself subtracts from our confidence in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. You see, we don't need to try to force the kingdom of God into existence by our own power or by our own strength, whether that's military or political. But we don't need to try to seclude ourselves from the weeds either, like the Essenes did of Jesus' day. You see, the Essenes were this, this, really, this really intense religious group, and they just tried to build this own, their own protective enclave where they didn't have to deal with any of the weeds. Instead of conquering the, like the zealots, they ran from them and tried to find or create a weedless environment. And Jesus is saying, is, you don't need to do that. Uh, creating a weedless environment in which to raise your families, in which to try to grow in holiness, that's not the answer. He says, yes, you must be discerning and you must be careful. Yes, there are things to protect your kids and your families from. But, and yes, you do need to resist evil, but you can grow as wheat among the weeds. You can still bear fruit in that environment. There is still a bountiful harvest at the end of the age. And so the goal is, is not to rule like the zealots or to, or to retreat like the Essenes and or, and it's neither to blend in like the Sadducees. You see, the Sadducees of Jesus' day, they, they gave up on many spiritual truths because they just wanted to blend in with the culture around them. It can feel today like there is often great pressure just to get with the times, just to blend in. And Jesus' words and his kingdom values, they aren't always popular, but they are the way of the king of the universe. And they're worth following. You see, Jesus says, blending in with the weeds is not the way. In John 17, Jesus prays that God would empower his people to be in the world, but not of it. You see, the truth of Jesus' kingdom, the future reality of his sovereign, kingly rule and reign bring brought to fruition. It enables us to joyfully join Jesus on his mission of planting good seed in the world with him today. See, one pastor writes this way, the mission is that we would be close to Jesus. And this is the thing that transforms our hearts to love what he loves and to hate what he hates and to pursue relationships with lost people in hopes of connecting them with him and subsequently connecting them with Jesus. You see, this actually protects us from sin because the way to avoid sin is not to avoid sinners, but is to stick close to Jesus. 
You see, yes, we do need to be wise. Yes, we do need to be careful, but we do not need to be afraid. Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, you can take hope. You see, Jesus wins. In the end, he does justly judge sin, and he does justly rescue the righteous. You see, in the end, Jesus is the one who has all authority, and he exercises his authority. You see, in the passage, he's not just far off and distant. He is the one who oversees the harvest. But what's even more than that is that the passage promises not just that the righteous will survive, but that they'll shine like the sun. See, the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus because of the gospel is that when he returns to sovereignly oversee the harvest of his field, he will be able to remove sin and evil and wickedness. He will be able to remove the wheat, or he will be able to remove the weeds without removing the wheat at the same time, without removing everyone and everything. You see, that's the message of the cross that Jesus himself came to absorb God's just wrath that is due sin for our mutinous rebellion against him. And he did that so that we might be forgiven and cleansed and made right with God and so that when he returns, he is able to remove sin without removing all of us. See, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus makes those who were weeds into wheat. See, there is eternal life and there is lasting joy in the sovereign rule and reign of the king and we can trust him to bring about the right ends to all things. You see, and it's in view of that day that we celebrate communion today and every Sunday when we gather. See, when we take communion, what we're remembering is we're remembering those truths, the implications of those truths, remembering not just that the gospel is past, having saved us from the the penalty of sin, and not just that the gospel is present at work, ongoing, sanctifying us from the power of sin every day, but, but we we put our hope in the promise that one day the gospel is that the gospel is a future reality as well that one day we will be saved from the presence of sin altogether in communion we're remembering all that Jesus did so that on day that on that day on the end day on the day of the harvest that we would be able to stand not on our own strength but on his and so we remind ourselves of the gospel every week because the gospel is what we need and so often we forget, we, we forget how much we need Jesus. We forget how greatly he has met our need. And so every week we need to choose to remember. You see the bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body which was broken for us. And the drink reminds us of Jesus' blood which was shed for us. As he lived the life that we should have lived and as he died the death that our sin justly deserved And so communion, it does not make you right with God. It does not save you. It does not change your status or your standing with him in any way, shape, or form. Instead, it's a chance for you to remember the truths of the gospel. And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, and if you put your trust in Jesus, then whenever you're ready, go back and take communion. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. But if this morning as we've studied what you realize is that Jesus is not the one that, you, that your hope and that your trust is in. If you're realizing that you might be some wheat among, there might be some weeds among the wheat, then I would just encourage you to hold off on taking communion this morning. Receive him before you receive communion. You see, Jesus is the one that you need both now and on the harvest day. 
So come to him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Ask him to give you a new heart with new desires and and new purposes. And ask him to fill you with his spirit every day so that you might be able to live for him as wheat among the weeds. And as we celebrate this morning, as we take communion, I encourage you, talk with God. Ask him to show you this morning which kingdom you belong to. The kingdom of the, the righteous son of man or the kingdom of the evil one. Ask him to give you eyes to see which kingdom you belong to so that while there is still time, you might choose to be a part of Jesus' kingdom. And as we worship, I'd encourage you, ask Jesus. Ask him to fill you with a patience that comes from knowing he is in control. Allowing him to be in control. Ask him to fill you with a great humility, to, to wrestle with the weight of how much you needed him to come for you and, and the gravity of what it means to join him as a humble kingdom ambassador instead of a detective in this world. And ask him to give you an immeasurable hope in his promise that he will return and that he will make all things right so that you might live for him as wheat among the weeds for your good, but more than anything, for his great glory in this age and at the end of the age in the one that is to come. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so grateful for your word this morning. We are thankful that you have given it to us and kept it for us so that we might know you. God, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear just as the passage ends. You would enable us to listen and to respond to the words that you have set before us this morning. God, that your kingdom is here and that it is coming. That one day you will judge sin and that you will rescue the righteous. And that day is inevitable and that it is inescapable. And that in knowing that, Jesus, you are also preparing us to live this day for you. And so we ask, God, that you would empower us to live today in light of that day. To live lives that are full of patience and hope and humility because we know the one who has come for us and the one who has led us. And so, Jesus, would our confidence be in you and would our hope be in you and would our life be found in you as we seek to live as we among the weeds. In your good name we pray. Amen.